0: Welcome to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We're glad you're with us today. All those that are connecting with us online, uh, whether it's through the video or through the podcast, we're glad that you have found us and joined us too. Uh, We are today concluding a series on uncommon sense, and it's dealt especially with the wisdom we find in God's Word when it comes to finances and money and managing our lives and our time and our resources In a way that's pleasing to God. But more than that, too, we want it to be pleasing to God. But with God's plan, it becomes something that brings us joy and peace and contentment when we learn to do it God's way. And we've been reminded that God's wisdom is far greater than ours or the wisdom of the world when it comes to managing the resources that God has given us. There was a mom who was shopping with her five year old daughter and The little girl found a dress that she really liked. They had a special event coming up that she was going to be dressed up for, and she got it off the rack, and she just loved it, and she wanted to buy it, so she took it to her mom, and her mom said, oh, that's beautiful. And then she looked at the price tag, and she shook her head. She says, oh, that's just way too expensive. I'm so sorry. And the daughter dutifully started putting the dress back on the rack, but she mumbled under her breath, Well, why did you have me if you can't afford me? (laughs) So far in this series, we have examined the necessity of work, how it needs to be seen as a blessing and not a curse. And we've looked at the trap of debt, how it can so enslave us if we're not careful. We've looked at the importance of restraint when it comes to our spending and the impact of discipline and how it frees us up to do what God has called us to do. And this week, we're going we're to conclude this series by talking about the joy of generosity. The joy of generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8, you might want to be turning there now, in 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to look at an extended passage, but I want to begin with one verse out of 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, where Paul is writing to Christians at the church in Corinth, and he's reminding them of how this is really a part of, this idea of giving, is a part of our spiritual life. Oftentimes, we think of money and finances as something that's not in any way connected to anything spiritual. But in Scripture, these things are always connected to each other. And how we handle money is a spiritual matter. And consistently in Scripture, those things are connected. And here in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, he says these words to followers of Christ. But since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel. In this grace of giving. You see, giving is just as much a part of our spiritual lives as faith is. In fact, our giving has to be rooted in our faith. That's how it's supposed to work, those things are connected. And we, again, work hard to try to separate it out as if it's not connected to our faith, that we really believe strongly in God and we trust God, but we don't handle giving the way God wants us to handle giving, as if it's not connected to that faith relationship with God. Friends, we can't separate it scripturally. God teaches those things are connected, that our faith and our giving go together. And so today, I wanted to finish this series by talking about how if we can learn those things we've been learning. And if you missed any of these messages, they're on our website. They're archived there uh, or our YouTube channel. You could go back and catch any that you missed or the podcast. If you listen to podcasts, you can subscribe to that and catch up on the ones that you might have missed because everyone is connected to the other. All this teaching that we've gotten over the past several weeks It's all been directly from God's Word, and it's all related to our faith relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. And as you put them all together, it leads us to this one. If we could start doing this God's way, wherever we're at financially right now, uh, grace is, is enough for whatever mistakes we've made in the past, and we've all made them, myself included. We've all made financial mistakes. We've all not handled some things maybe the way that was most pleasing to God. All of us have some of that in our baggage, and our history. But here's the thing. We can leave that behind by the grace of God, and we can start fresh today. And if we can apply these principles we've been learning, it can lead us to this place we're talking about today where this becomes a joyous part of our Christian walk as followers of Jesus Christ where we get great joy out of being able to give the way God instructs us to give you see if we can follow the other principles it frees us up to have the joy of generosity in our lives you can't have the joy of generosity when you're a slave to debt you can't have the joy of generosity when your hope is in your stuff you can't it's impossible But when you can learn to have the faith in God that He wants you to have and you start applying His wisdom to your finances, then you can begin to have the joy God wants you to have in your generosity that He's called you to live by. So today I want to talk about five uh, just final teachings here that we need to be reminded of so that we can experience the joy of generosity. Okay, the first one is this. Small gifts offer encouragement small gifts offer encouragement. I wanted to start there because way too many Christians start thinking, uh, I can't do anything significant financially because I just don't have a lot of money. Isn't that how we think sometimes? Uh, I don't have a lot to give. I don't make a lot and, and, I, and I'm barely getting by, so I, don't, I can't make an impact financially. And we forget that We work together as a family in the kingdom of God. And when you put a lot of small gifts together, what do you have? Big impact, don't you? You have big impact. Sometimes we read about I read this past week about Jeff Bezos, who's the CEO of Amazon, right? People had been on his back because he wasn't doing a whole lot of charitable giving. And I don't know his heart. I don't know his motivation. But he decided to change that. And maybe, I hope and pray, he's doing it for all the right reasons. But he recently committed $2 billion to help eliminate homelessness in America. $2 billion. Now, you you see things like that and you think, well, yeah, those are the people that can make an impact, right? But you know what? Christians and churches across America have outgiven Jeff Bezos and every other millionaire in this country for years together corporately. And it's been mostly individuals like you and me giving smaller amounts than any $2 billion gift, right? But being all put together to impact the world for Christ. And we've done it in the name of Jesus, so who gets the glory and the attention for that? Jesus. You see the difference there? Small gifts combined with other people giving small gifts can make a huge impact in the world. By the way, too, uh, I... I want to warn you as a Christian not to make fun of or make light of a gift like Jeff Bezos gave, okay? Sometimes we say, well, yeah, but he makes so much money. That's not really a big sacrifice for him. Let me tell you something. The homeless people to get help won't care about that. They're just thankful for the money and the help that they got, okay? Let's not criticize millionaires for not giving enough, okay? That's between them and God, and God's going to handle that you just are responsible for who for you for yourself and I'm responsible for myself we don't need to be judging anybody else and their giving that's not what God has called us to do but we are responsible for our own giving it's easier to criticize somebody like like Jeff Bezos than it is for us to become generous if we don't want to be generous right but God has called us to be generous with what we have So that means it may be small gifts, yes, but small gifts make a huge impact. When Sue Ann and I, when I decided to go into the ministry, I went to Bible College at Atlanta Christian College in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's now relocated. It's called Point University, but when I was there, it was Atlanta Christian College. And the second year I was in school, I'm a sophomore in college. We're married. We have a baby, and uh, I've been preaching on the weekends at a little country church that was very caring and loving to us and I appreciate that and then I got a job preaching at a church there in the Atlanta area Um, and it was a, a nice little church but it was a little bit out of the city more in a more rural area but still close enough that we could move there I could work there full time and still go to school I went to school I had all my classes in the morning then I could go give my afternoons and evenings to the ministry of serving that church And they couldn't pay us very much. It was a small church, but it was a place I could get experience and learn and grow and and love on the people. And they loved on us, and it was great. But here's the thing. I want you to know the difference small gifts can make. We were struggling. My wife was working full time, but had a baby. You know, we were trying to take care of the baby. She taught piano lessons to supplement. We were doing everything we could, you know, just to stay afloat and get all the bills paid. And there was a little lady named Flossie Pate that lived just a couple of houses down They had a little parsonage for us. Those of you that may not know the church world, a parsonage was a house that the church would own that they would let the preacher live in. Okay? And we lived in that little parsonage. It was actually a trailer, a mobile home, right across the street from the church. Very small, but it was adequate for us with one child. And she lived just two doors down. And we didn't realize it, but every now and then, we would hear a little noise at the door and... We weren't sure, there was no knock, there was no doorbell or anything like that, but later on when we would open our front door, there would be a bag of vegetables or something like that out of a garden, and it happened regularly, and we were trying to figure out where where were these vegetables coming from, right? And one day, we heard the person out there leaving the vegetables, and we could hear on our steps, the steps going back down and somebody's hurrying off. But we got to the window in time to look out and we saw little Miss Flossie Pate in her 80s who had a little garden in her backyard, who was bringing us groceries out of her garden and trying to scoop back out to her house before we could ever catch her doing it. Now, you can imagine in her 80s, she wasn't real fast. So we were able to see who it was. And we went to her to thank her, and she acted like she didn't know a thing about what we were talking about. (laughs) You know, that wasn't a big gift. But for our little family, it was big, right? Boy, did that help us with our grocery bill, to have good fresh vegetables to eat, something good and healthy for us, right? Don't ever underestimate the value of of small gifts given in love in the name of Jesus and the impact that God can use them to make in the world in the lives of people I'm always reminded of this when I remember and Mark 12 is recorded in other gospel as well but in Mark 12 again with verse 41 Jesus is teaching his disciples about how to live out life that's pleasing to God and he took them to outside the synagogue to a place where their offerings were being given. Now in the synagogue the way they did it in the temple and the synagogue was they had these offering boxes in the entrance way. So as people came in they would place their gifts in those offering boxes. Now some churches do it that way too and it's not a bad thing. It's a good way to do it. Um, And so they, they were sitting there. He said, here, have a seat. I want you to watch. And it says in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. All right? Jesus noticed this little lady, this widow. I say little. I don't know what size she was. All right, this widow who put in two copper coins, worth only a few pennies, right, in our, in our culture today. But Jesus sees a teaching opportunity. So it says in verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. So it couldn't have been about the amount, could it? The others were putting in larger amounts of money for sure. So how could Jesus say that this lady gave more than all the others? His how in verse 44. He says they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had to live on. It's just a few cents, but it's all she had. That little gift had more impact in a lot of ways than the big gifts that some of the wealthy people were giving now understand it doesn't mean that wealthy people giving is not impactful it is it can make do so much good with that okay it's not saying in any way they shouldn't do that it's reminding us that can't do that that our gifts are impactful too that they can make a huge difference too And that God is honored and pleased when we sacrificially give, even out of our smaller amounts as well. You see, you don't eliminate rich people giving big gifts. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you don't undervalue the widow giving her few cents either. That's big. That's meaningful. That's impactful that she did that. So don't ever think that because you're not in a position financially to write great big checks and make huge donations that you're deciding to give regularly from what you have consistently to honor God and support the ministry. Don't ever undervalue the impact of doing that. Here's the thing here at Lakeshore. I've been here, it'll be 29 years in March, and I've loved serving with this church, but here's what you have to know about this church. We're not a church full of wealthy people. We're not. And that's okay. Now, don't get me wrong, we've got people on a lot of different levels financially here at Lakeshore, and some have higher incomes and can give more in dollar amounts than other people can give, and some are... Very uh, on the other end of the scale with their income on the lower end of the scale. And they can't give the large amounts. But you know what? This church has impacted the world because everyday ordinary people that are working hard and making a living have been giving sacrificially from what God has blessed them with. And there's not been any great big wealthy donation that's been given for over all of that time. Not even one huge amount in the eyes of the world but in the eyes of the people who gave it and in the church that received it there's been huge gifts being given all the way through because they were sacrificial and they were given not out of abundance but even out of need in people's lives they were given they were given out of love to advance the work of the kingdom to reach lost people for jesus And you can never underestimate the value of those gifts that have been given. You can never, ever think they don't matter and that your gifts don't matter. They do. And we could have person after person after person stand on the stage and say, this church changed their lives because they found Jesus here or they came back home to Jesus or their marriage was healed or their family was saved from, from being put out on the street. So many testimonies that could be given. And it's because... A lot of people gave what in the world's eyes might be considered smaller gifts, but you put all those together and it has impacted the world for Jesus. Not just here in this community, but we've impacted Ecuador and we've impacted the Dominican Republic and other places all over the world because of lots of people giving from maybe smaller amounts to give. You put it together with the blessing of God on it and the wise stewardship of the leadership here and it has changed the world for God in a positive way. So, first principle. Very clearly, small gifts offer encouragement. Second principle, anonymous giving removes pride from the picture. Anonymous giving removes pride from the picture. I know sometimes gifts are given for the recognition, for the acknowledgement, for the praise of people. And again, it doesn't mean God can't use those gifts. He can. What it means is those people don't get the blessing from it that God would want them to get from it. It robs them of some of the blessing that they could have gotten out of giving it in a different way. In Matthew 6, beginning with verse 1, Jesus is teaching this great sermon, right? Sermon on the Mount. And he says this in verse 1. What Jesus is talking about here is motivation it's where your heart is you see he's not saying the large gifts didn't do any good and didn't help anybody they did even the ones that were done with the announcement of blowing of trumpets and fanfare and all of that those still did some good but the person they didn't bless like they could have is the person who gave them that way they didn't get the blessing from God that they could have gotten had they done it differently Now, I want you to understand clearly what he's saying. He's not saying you can't ever let anybody know about your giving. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying don't ever give with that motive that you make sure everybody knows what you're doing so you can get the praise for it and the recognition for it. Don't ever give that way because then you rob yourself of the reward that God wants you to have. You know how you can do this? One of the best ways to do this is to do your giving through a local church. If you're part of Lakeshore, you should do it through Lakeshore. If you live somewhere else, you're part of another church family, you should do it through your local church. If you're listening online, do it through your local church. Because if you do it through the local church, then the help that's given to people through your church, you're not getting the personal recognition for it, but who is? God's getting the recognition for it. His church is getting the recognition for it. His kingdom is getting the recognition for it. You're pointing people to him. It doesn't mean you should never give to somebody personally. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, no, think about how you can do this in the best way that honors God the best and that he gets the glory for it the most. And one way to do that is through your local church and your giving there. Now, you can do that in other ways, too. You can make anonymous gifts and donations to other organizations and individuals without it becoming a fanfare thing where you're calling attention to yourself. You can do that in other places, too, in other ways. So I'm not saying that's the only way, but that's one way you could do it, where God receives the glory, and you know it's God who's receiving the glory and not yourself. Here's the thing, too, though. It's okay to let people know that you do give and support through your local church without bragging about amounts or how you've sacrificed and making it all about you. But it's okay to teach people you do that and why you do it. It's out of love for God and love for others. And because the church is the one institution in the world that really offers something to people that they can't get anywhere else. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they find salvation through the local church. When I say local church, I'm not just talking about the institution. I'm talking about who, what's the church? It's us. It's the people, right? And as we live for God and, and we are the example God wants us to be, people are being brought to salvation through the church, through us as individuals honoring God with our lives. And so we can point people to him and say we honor God by giving through our local church because we believe the church is of value, more value than any other institution on the earth. And that's why we love supporting it. That's why we love sacrificing for it. Not just with money, but with time and giving your other services that you can give to help out the work of the kingdom. It's it's of great value. So anonymous giving removes the potential for you to give pridefully. The third principle is this. Spontaneous generosity brings great joy. Spontaneous generosity brings great joy. I'm going to talk next about plan giving, and that's a good thing, but sometimes spontaneous, spontaneous generosity is some of the most fun you can have. Um, but remember, if you haven't followed the other principles financially, you're not free to spontaneously give like you might want to. You know, if you're over your head in debt and you're a slave to your debt, it's hard to be a spontaneous giver that way, isn't it? But if you can get your finances in order, it frees you up to be a spontaneous giver when opportunities arise, when you see situations that are good, that you could step in there right away and help, even if you have a plan on it, you know you've got some margin in your budget that enables you to do it, so you can give spontaneously then, and that's so much fun. I think uh, in scripture, Luke 19 verse 8, where Zacchaeus, remember, you know Zacchaeus this way, he was a what? wee little man, right? right? He was a wee little man. And, and he had been a tax collector, or a chief tax collector, and he had cheated people out of money. But when he got to know Jesus, he went and saw Jesus. He climbed up in that tree. Jesus told him to come down. He went and had lunch with him and spent time at his house. And he was transformed by that interaction with Jesus and here's what it says in verse 8 Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord look Lord here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything and he's saying and I have I will pay back four times the amount spontaneously right on the spot you know how you can do that when your heart has been changed by Jesus that's how you can start doing that remember this is always a matter of the heart where your treasure is that's where your heart is Jesus said it's always a matter of the heart. And Zacchaeus's heart had been radically changed by getting to know Jesus and because of that change he spontaneously decided I'm going to be generous. I'm going to I'm going to bless people. He was a wealthy person. He could do a lot of blessing when he got his heart right. And he was willing to do that. I love that I am married to a woman who loves doing this with me. We don't have a lot either compared to some people we do, right, in third world countries. But here in America, we wouldn't be considered people who have a, a lot, you know, wealthy people, anything like that. But we look for opportunities. We plan for it in a way so that we, here's my wife. She's a planner. So here's what we do. We plan to be spontaneous. <laughs> Did you catch that? We plan to be Spontaneous. And you have to do some planning to free yourself up to be spontaneous, right? If you don't get your budget planned out and handle it well, then it keeps you from being spontaneous giver. But we plan for it in our budget, so all through the year we do this, but especially around the holidays, we look for opportunities to bless somebody financially in some way, and We often do it like if we, we don't eat out a lot, but occasionally we'll go out to eat or something like that. Here's what I want you to understand. I don't know anybody that's working as a server at a restaurant just for the fun of it, okay? So we look for opportunities when there's a server that we've got that you can just see the burden in their face. You can see the struggle in their eyes. And they may be working it during the holidays, at a restaurant, just trying to pay the bills. Just hoping maybe somebody that day would give her a good tip or give him a good tip that day because they make so little on an hourly wage and they depend so much on tips and gratuity, right? And so we look for somebody like that. Doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, because either one can be in that situation. Doesn't matter if they're young or old, you could be any age and be in that situation, right? And a lot of times we plan to be spontaneous that if it hits us and we prayed about it before we go that day and we look for that person, that opportunity, and if we feel like God is saying this is the one, we'll just give them a tip that we wouldn't normally give, way above what we would normally give. And we don't have enough to say, you know, we'll pay off your car or something like that. We're not doing that. But, friends, when you don't know how you're going to buy Christmas for your kids and somebody leaves an extra $50 or $100, that can make a huge difference in somebody's life. It could just, You can just see. And here's what we do. We leave it and get out before they know we've left it. But what we often do is try to find a way we can look through the window or something and watch the expression on their face when they go get the tip. And I see expressions of great joy and sometimes great relief. But you know what it does? It blesses Sue Ann and me a whole lot more than it blessed that person to see the joy that it brought to them. Spontaneous giving brings great joy. We uh, here in America just had Black Friday, right? Spent a whole bunch of money. The, it says it was a record-setting year. More spent on Black Friday than, than ever, Okay. Talking billions of dollars, over seven billion, okay, that we spent on gifts. And those are not all selfish things. Some of those are, you want to bless other people, and that's what you did, okay? Then we're going to have Cyber Monday tomorrow. People are going to shop online, spend billions more, right? And right after that, guess what we do on Tuesday? Giving Tuesday. I don't know how many of you know about Giving Tuesday, but that's this Tuesday. And I'm glad one day out of the holidays we decide we'll focus on giving today, right? After we just spent, uh, now understand this, we just had Thanksgiving for all we've got and then we just spent a record amount of money for more stuff, okay? It's not over yet, we're going to spend a lot more. Wouldn't it be great if Christians decided spontaneously, I'm going to give an extra gift to my local church? You know, I'm buying gifts for everybody else. Why wouldn't I give a gift for Jesus? Whose birthday are we about to celebrate? Jesus. Why wouldn't I give a gift to Him? Why wouldn't I do a little something extra for Him as we celebrate His birthday? Wouldn't that be a good Giving Tuesday? Now, there are other good organizations you can give to. I understand that. I'm not saying don't give to those organizations. But what about your local church? Couldn't you be a blessing to your local church? Again, whether it's Lakeshore or some other church you're connected to, wouldn't it be great? To just bless them with an extra gift in the name of Jesus. Alright, so the fourth principle is this. Disciplined generosity reveals your priorities. By disciplined generosity, disciplined generosity, I mean your planned giving. So people don't understand that planned giving is something that's taught in Scripture. It is. Jesus, I mean, God taught it to the nation of Israel through the tithe, right? It was a planned thing. The first, right up front, you give ten percent back to God. It was a planned way of doing it. It was not something you were caught off guard. I, I'm still amazed how many people will attend a church and act surprised when we have an offering that we collect. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't know we we're going to do that, and they start reaching for their wallet. Yeah. You should have planned to give, right? That should be part of uh, being a Christ follower. It's planned giving. You say, we're not an Old Testament church. No, we're not. But in the New Testament, it teaches the same principle as a New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 16, they are collecting an offering uh, to help out Christians that were struggling in the Jerusalem area. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, that they were struggling at at Corinth with coming up with this offering. So he said, all right, here's a plan that I want to share with you now about the collection for the Lord's people do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come no collections will have to be made in other words here's a plan to follow on the first day of the week what was the first day of the week for them Sunday, just like it is for us. We follow the same calendar, okay? Sunday is the first day of the week. So on the first day of the week, they were supposed to do what? Plan to put some aside to give to the Lord's work so that they could take care of that and not have to be last minute scrambling to try to come up with the money to give. You see, there's a plan. And here's what I know about consistently giving to the Lord through the local church. You will never do it if you don't plan to do it. You'll never do it consistently over the long haul if you don't make it part of your plan. You've got to have a plan for this. The New Testament teaches us to plan for this, to have a set way of doing it in our lives. Now it doesn't mean, all right, well, you say, I only get paid every other week. Okay, every other first day of the week. I get paid once a month. Okay, once a month on the first day of the week. Put it aside. I get paid commissions. Well, whenever you get it on the first day of the week, right? Have a plan for how you do this, where you're going to put it aside. you know why I think he said the first day of the week? Because it symbolizes, again, first fruits, putting God first. That's the first thing you do that week is put that aside to honor God with what he's blessed you with. It's a plan. And friends, let me tell you something. One-time gifts are wonderful, and they bless us. So if you want to do a one-time gift, we'll we'll accept it, okay? That's a wonderful thing. We will not refuse any of them. But here's the deal. We pay the light bill. We pay the staff. We pay the the materials for our ministries and all that. We pay that most out of people just regularly giving on the first day of the week to support the work of the church. We couldn't do the ministry we do at Lakeshore without a bunch of people having a disciplined plan for giving consistently over time and we're so grateful that we've got a core group of people that do that here at Lakeshore. But you know what? We could do more and we could honor God in other ways and bless more people if more people had a disciplined plan and were giving this way. I want to challenge you to think about having a disciplined plan for giving through your local church. Because it's the local church that has the answer the world needs. The government doesn't. No government program does what the church can do. They don't offer what the church can offer. There is no way they can bless the world the way the church can. If we would be disciplined givers on a regular basis to support the local church. And I want to brag on our local church because we, we have impacted this community, the Smyrna community, this world, in a powerful way, through disciplined givers over time, supporting the work of the Lord here. And I'm so grateful for that. In 1 Corinthians 16, remember it says, on the first day of the week, do this. In Proverbs 3, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, began with verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, I will make sure you're taken care of when you put God first. When you put the work of the kingdom first, God will bless you. Well, the final principle, the fifth one is this. Sacrificial giving displays love. More than anything else I know in Scripture that's taught, it is that sacrificial giving is a display of love being real and genuine. We use love so lightly, the word love so lightly in our culture. And when we think of love and acts of love in our culture, oftentimes we think of things that involve no sacrifice at all, and we still call it love. But in Scripture, the word love is the word agape, talking about God's love, and agape love is always giving yourself for the sake of others. That's what real love is. And the Bible says, here's how we know what real love is, that God loved us and gave His Son to be the payment for our sins. Sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice is what real love is all about. So here's the question for all of us What are we willing to sacrifice for? What are not just what we say we're willing to sacrifice for, what have you up till right now been willing to sacrifice for? To get the house you want to get, the car you want to drive, the clothes you want to wear. Or have you been willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? Sacrifice means you give up yourself for the good of something you think is greater than yourself. What's greater than bringing people to salvation in the name of Jesus? What's more important in our life work than having people name Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I don't know of any greater reason to sacrifice than helping people find their way home to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, this passage we've been looking at today, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was known as a pretty well-to-do church. Just want you to know that right up front. They had more high-income people in it than we do at Lakeshore, most likely from everything we can tell in Scripture. They had pretty well-to-do people in that church. But here they were getting the message out to the churches. We're trying to help out with a great need in Jerusalem. We need all the churches to help. And the church at Corinth had said, we'll help, we'll help. But guess what they hadn't done? They hadn't come up with any money. They had not really given like they said they were going to give. And so Paul is trying to encourage them in this letter to go ahead and give generously the way they said they were going to do it. You see, it's easy for us to talk about how we're going to help and get people excited about it and say, oh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to really make an impact. We're going to, and, and then the actual follow-through is the problem, right? If your heart's not where it needs to be, the follow-through is the problem. And there are a lot of us in churches today who are saying, I want to help out. I love the Lord. I want to help the church be strong and have good ministry. But we don't quite follow through with the support that it takes for the church to do those things. And so Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about here on how to do this. And here's the amazing thing. The example that he picked was not another wealthy church that had given great big dollars to the work of the kingdom. The example that he picks to say to Corinth on how to give were the churches in the province of Macedonia. Now the province of Macedonia wasn't... A, a, a poverty stricken place most of the time but here's why this is so cool during the time this was going on they had suffered a famine in the province of Macedonia now a famine affects everybody even the people in the church right so there were several congregations in Macedonia that are talked about in scriptures not just one congregation but several churches in that province and you know what Paul and the other apostles had thought since they're going through such a hard time we won't even ask them to help with this cause, right? Isn't that the way we think? If people are struggling, they shouldn't be asked to help. Isn't that what we think in our culture? But the Macedonians were almost offended by the fact that they weren't asked to help. Let's look at the passage, beginning with verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, very severe trial, their overflowing joy listen to these things that he puts together severe trial and what overflowing joy their extreme poverty all right so in a famine what would happen you would be in a a poverty type situation because you wouldn't have the needs being met it says in extreme poverty it welled up in what rich generosity those two things don't seem to go together do they Extreme poverty and rich generosity. He's not talking about dollar amounts. He's talking about generous hearts. Okay. All right. Listen to him. For I testify they gave as much as they were able. He's like, okay. So they they gave what they could give. But here's what he says. And even beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability to give? By faith. Out of love. Trusting God to be the provider. That's how you do that. Listen to what he says. Entirely on their own. In other words, we didn't ask them to do this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They weren't even going to ask, but what did the Macedonian churches do? They heard about this. They heard about what was going on. And they contacted the apostles and they said, whatever you do, don't leave us out. Let us be part of this too. They pleaded. That word translated pleaded means they really begged. To be allowed to give to this cause through the churches i haven't run into any member at any church i've served that has begged us for the opportunity to give ever but paul says i want you to know that's where the heart needs to be it's got nothing to do with the amount of money you've got that's why he used the macedonian churches as the example They were struggling, just like a lot of us are struggling. And they pleaded for the opportunity to give. Look at this. It says, verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. And how did they do it? Listen to what he says. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he says, see what they did? So now we want you to follow through with this act of grace on your part. He says, since you excel in everything, remember, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test what? The sincerity of your what? Love. You see, it's one thing to say you love the Lord. It's another thing to demonstrate the sincerity of your love for the Lord. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. You want to test the sincerity of your love? Where's your giving right now? Where's your generosity level right now? That is the test of the sincerity of your love for God, your love for the lost, your love for the work of the kingdom. He says, for you know he gives this final example, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He said, friends, God's not asking you to do anything for him that he hasn't already been more than willing to do for you. He has given it all for you out of love for you. Maybe there's somebody here today who needs to start with that first step. Here's the first step. The Macedonian churches gave themselves first to the Lord. That's where it all starts, this generous lifestyle, this joy of generosity. It's rooted in giving yourself first to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that today we've been reminded of your love for us. We've been reminded of the example of the Macedonian churches who in poverty welled up, their, their generosity welled up greatly. We're reminded that the widow's gift was just as important as anything any rich people ever gave because she sacrificially gave out of love and gratitude. And help us to remember that real joy, lasting joy, comes not from buying stuff, more stuff, more stuff, It comes from being the generous person that knows you're using them to impact the world for the kingdom. If there's anybody here today who needs to take that first step of giving themselves to you, help them to know that that's where the real joy is found. That's where the real fulfillment is found because that's where the real purpose of life can be lived out. It's in relationship with you. Thank you for loving us for giving to us your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.